Well, welcome along. It's Saturday afternoon. That means it's time for another edition of Unbelievable. With me, your host Justin Briley, through till four o'clock this afternoon. And don't forget, we've a very popular podcast online at Premier.org.uk/unbelievable. This is the show that aims to get Christians and non-Christians talking. And what an interesting subject we had last week. If you were listening, then you would have heard us debating the question: Demons, do they exist? Well, today, the flip side of that: Angels, do they exist? Yeah. And helping us to look at this topic today, Peter S. Williams, who's a Christian thinker. He wrote a book called *The Case for Angels*, and he'll be telling us why it makes sense to believe in angels. Skeptic Lee Warren also joins us. He's a non-believer, a magician by background, and says in his experience the mind can play tricks on us. And well, there's always a natural explanation for when people report these supernatural phenomena. On the line, Roger Harper, a C of E vicar who's done some research into modern-day stories of angelic visitation. Well, what will our studio guest make of his uh, experiences and uh, the stories of others that he'll recount today? Hope you enjoy today's program. Angels, do they exist? Well, welcome to the studio, gentlemen. Um, it's another all-male show, as I'm afraid it often is on this show. It's, it seems to be men who, who enjoy talking about these subjects the most. But um, we, uh, we, we, I'm looking forward to reading some of the feedback towards the end of the show. Loads of people got in touch after last week's show on, on demons, do they exist, from all kinds of perspectives. And I know um, this issue of angels is also prompting similar interest. Um, and I guess uh, whenever we do delve into these more experiential sides of things, people have all kinds of stories and experiences that they want to, to call on and draw upon. Um, let's first of all talk to you, Peter. Um, welcome back. Uh, we had you on talking about you. your back. most recent book was Understanding Jesus, and you came on to mm. take some calls from listeners and things like that uh, last year. But um, this, the book that relates most to what our subject today is a book you wrote called The Case for Angels. This mm. was quite early on, I think, in your writing yeah, career, well, though, wasn't it? Yeah, 2002, something yeah. like that. Yeah. And... Um, Tell us a little bit, though, as a Christian, have, has the concept of angels always been a non-problematic one for you, or did you sort of, have you had your doubts in this area? No, I think it's always been relatively unproblematic uh, for me, and I think that's primarily because, as, as I point out in the, in the book, if you already believe um, that there's a God, there's a non-physical person, hmm. an infinite non-physical person who can create anything that's logically possible because he's omnipotent, uh, and also, uh, if you believe that human minds aren't merely brains, that there's mm. there's more to the mind than just the brain, that they're, um, what a philosopher called mind-body dualism is true, you think people are finite persons who aren't material, or in, aren't entirely material, it seems mm. perfectly plausible to think that there could be mm. finite persons who are immaterial, right. and um, God certainly could create such beings, uh, and I think there's uh, enough reason uh, from a variety of sources, including scripture, of course, as a mm. Christian, to believe that God has created such beings. So it seems yeah. both possible and eminently plausible, yeah. um, given those background beliefs, to think that there are such beings. And so in that sense, um, if, if philosophically it, there's no problem, contradiction mm. for you with it, um, you're happy to accept at face value stories in the New Testament, the Bible, about angels? Yes, but well, not quite at face value as well. It's partly because they're being reported by that source, and I believe I have reasons for trusting what that particular source mm. says. Mm. But then, when it when it would come to 
um, say, contemporary experiences of angels, I wouldn't necessarily just, you know, take them all carte blanche yeah. at faith value. I'd want to, I'd want to assess them on a case by case basis. Mm. Um, I would neither automatically rule them all out, but neither would I automatically rule them all in. Um, sure, sure. Yeah. Well, we'll obviously come to that and to both the. Um, the biblical accounts and and to some of the contemporary accounts um, as well as we go. But introducing a new guest to the show, Lee Warren. Thank you for coming Hi. in today, Lee. Great, Very to welcome. You. Great to have you in the studio. Tell us then a little of, of your background. People know Peter from past shows, but um, tell us, uh, have you ever had any sort of faith in your past or, or have you always felt a, a sort of leaning towards scepticism atheism not uh, yes always i think um i mean i like a lot of english boys i grew up as a sort of i suppose a, a laissez-faire christian i mean i knew where the church was and, and did you go to did you have any sort of church involvement or very little very i mean little. i was i was in the scouts so we'd pop along mm. one sunday a month and mm. that was sort of it so um, I'm, I'm what I'd describe as a, a sort of laid-back sceptic, I suppose, okay. in that uh, I, I, um, I don't uh, deeply dislike religion, but I haven't bought it either. So yeah. you're not you're not vociferous in that sense. You... Well, I could talk for hours. Yes, <laughs> I, yes, um, uh, but but. Um, uh, but not, a, not I, yeah, I don't like to be offensively. No, sure, sure. Well, that's that's great, and um, uh, I, I think that there's a variety of atheists, and you're somewhere on the spectrum of. Uh, yeah, and, and, and I suppose, I mean, my training as a magician, there, there is a certain angle that perhaps is slightly unusual um, among atheists that, that magicians have and people who work in the professionally make money out mm. of understanding deception and how the human mind works. Um, so, so I'm not a... Uh, I'm slightly intimidated. Peter's got an entire library uh, in front of him of reference material, and I've got a slightly scratchy biro and a bit of paper. Um, <laughs> but uh, well, well, good on yeah. you for, as it were, being yeah. the Daniel in the lion's den on this occasion and coming in. And and I, I mean, I, I think we got in touch really because, as I understand it, you've had an experience in kind of trying to understand why people believe certain things, mm. why, why they're, and obviously your background as a magician makes you believe, presumably, that as I said earlier, the mind can be deceived. And and from that point of view, that's what you would probably think is going on in, in these sorts of uh, Yeah, and, and you might say more interestingly, not only can the mind, not only can it be deceived, that's what it's doing most of the time. Mm. Yeah, most of what the brain does is deceive us for our own ends. It's, that's actually our default state. Mm. We tend to get it the wrong way around. We think we're getting reliable information about the world. We're, basically, we're not most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit depressing, really, isn't it? Um, well, Not when you make money out of it. <laughs> well, maybe we can come back to that. I mean, uh, I mean, what um, interests me is that, that you remind me in that sense of someone like Darren Brown, sure. for instance, who uh, well known on uh, at least on British TV shores and uh, sort of very much came to a sceptical sort of view of um, the supernatural, having been a believer himself at one time. Uh, but very much in a similar way to you, he's an illusionist, um, mind control techniques and all the rest of it. He knows that people can be made to believe things when, in fact, something else is going on. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll come back to you and I'd be fascinated to hear your reaction to some of the stories that we're going to be hearing in the course of today. Um, uh, Peter's own views on why he he does feel uh, it makes sense, at least, to believe in angels. Uh, Roger Harper, as I mentioned, is on the line. Um, he's done some research into modern-day stories of angelic visitation. Uh, a very good afternoon to you, Roger. Good afternoon. Thank you for joining us. Um, tell us a little of your background, then. You're also new to this programme. Um, have you ever sort of been a sceptic, or, or has Christianity uh, been a, a part of your life for a long time? 
Christianity has been part of my life for a long time. I had a, I had a skeptic teenage, um, but uh, I, I've, I'd say I've, uh, I have I have been a believer for some years now. Mm. And indeed, a church leader on top of that. I mean, um, in your experience, how how often do accounts of supernatural things going on come up in your particular experience? Not often. Um, uh, as, a, as a vicar, um, sometimes people tell me things. Um, it's most likely to m- most likely supernatural occurrences are when people think that they've they've heard or had a communication from someone who's died. Mm. Um, this is of people outside the church, um, but um, yeah. So, uh, particularly in in Anglican circles, it's not something that people that people talk about very much. Mm. What 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 made you interested though? You you wrote an article for Christianity magazine last year on angels. What what has prompted your interest in the area specifically? Um, I, I was interested. I, I interest got interested through a friend of mine who who had uh, introduced me to a particular way of of thinking about angels, and he was aware of an angel with him um, who he found very useful in his in his ministry. Mm. Um, and uh, that 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 intrigued me, and I wanted to look into the whole subject more. Well, that's that that's interesting. Just just what you said there has made me think. Comes angels for specific purposes. I mean, um, that's perhaps something again we could we could look at. But um, I know you've got a, a couple of um, stories uh, that you could relate as well in the course of today's show. If you're listening, and wherever you stand on the. Uh, spectrum of belief or non-belief i'd love to hear your feedback to today's show and you can always email me that's unbelievable at premier.org.uk you can of course get us on twitter and facebook as well um loads of people were commenting on the um uh, some response to the demons show of of last week uh on the facebook page and you can find that at uh, unbelievable jb is the uh what you need to type into facebook to find us uh but you can find me on twitter as well at unbelievable jb don't forget all those links and uh links to past shows and to lots of other resources available from the website premier.org.uk slash unbelievable today we're asking angels do they exist unbelievable with justin Brierley. I mean, at a basic level, obviously, Lee, you don't believe in God, so obviously you're not going to believe in in angels, I guess. Um, There may be some rare instances of people who do believe in angels but don't believe in God, but it seems a bit... It it would seem that one follows the other in this sense. Um, I don't think it has to. I mean, for two reasons, really. One is that angels are clearly... Or the the talk of angels is clearly cross-cultural. So, you know, Muslims have angels, and presumably their God is different to Christian, the Christian God... Seems quite similar, but but presumably some um, different. I think uh, in the New Age world, you know, they, I mean, they are everywhere. You walk into any New Age shop, and there's angels. Um, they strike me as remarkably similar to the Catholic saints. Uh, I think they're they're sort of interchangeable. 
sort um, of in, invoked in some way or yeah i mean like as... um, your caller just said he, his sort of utility swiss army angel yeah <laughs> <laughs> there seems to be one for um and uh, so so i could quite easily imagine someone not believing god but but believing in angels or at least some immaterial spirit yeah. thing I, that yes, does stuff yes sure sure yeah. I would point people towards other shows we've done simply on the existence of God, because sure. that in itself is a big issue, which which needs uh, you know its own kind of theme. Um, but I mean, if if the the option of God were available, say to you, you know, if, if that that was something you could be convinced of, would it be an extra leap for you to say and angels on top of that? In that sense, um, no, no, I don't think so at all. Um, I mean, once you've admitted the the possibility of something for which uh, as far as i can see there is no compelling evidence for once you once your brain can admit that um then there's sort of there, there's no barrier there's no there's i mean that that's mm. that's a sort of intellectual floodgate opening fully i think what, what's your response uh, to that peter i i think there's a, a difference here between um saying well you know if you can believe in god well then you can just you know you you're prepared to believe in anything um, irrespective of, of what the evidence is. Therefore, of course, it, you might well believe in angels. And saying, I can see that if you believed in God, um, it, it's um, quite plausible to believe that God could uh, create such beings. And so belief in, in such beings is, is not um, a priori um, uh, abstract from experience in and of itself kind of particularly irrational it's not simply that you well you can believe anything once you believe in god but if you believe in god it actually gives you some grounds for thinking that it's at least possible that there be such beings as angels um so there's a sort of rational inference uh, mm. to at least the possibility of angels from the existence of god i mean you you've lee already mentioned the fact that we do find culturally people seem to have uh, mm. belief in angels in different societies religions etc yeah. i mean for you is that any is that um something that we can call upon as evidence for the existence of angels or, or is that um could that be the same for ufos I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well uh, it, it certainly it, it rules out thinking that it's a it's a, a culturally constrained belief that you could explain away in terms of a particular cultural milieu as it were it's fascinating reading I, i've got here the, the research from um, emma heathcote james who did a phd on um uh, tabulizing uh, people's experience of angels uh, mm. across different religions and uh, and even including um, atheists and agnostics who make reports of angelic experiences and um, in her uh, book seeing angels she's got a breakdown of the statistics here and actually about 10 percent of the people who wrote into her with experiences of the angelic were atheists or agnostics by mm. self-description and 28 ish percent uh, gave a sort of unknown as to their religious mm. background and then it goes across uh, you know protestants and catholics but also um uh, buddhists and muslims and, and jews and, and so mm. on so it is very cross-cultural but not even just cross religion but mm. cross mm. all worldview beliefs people report having experiences today of, of angelic encounters and, and so is, is that in a sense evidence for them then i suppose is the the question that remains well yeah it's certainly evidence in, in as much as if um, if you made the claim that there are angels and they're active in the world as a christian would and nobody reported such experiences or only people who were christian believers who already believed in 
the existence of such beings reported such experiences, you'd say that that would count against <laughs> the belief. And so the fact that that's not so and that people across all sorts of diff- different belief systems, including atheists and agnostics, make the same reports, I think, must count um, as on, on some evidence in favour. Well, except that, I, I mean, I don't know the, that book. Um, I'd put a fair amount of money on it, though, that Christians see Christian angels... Buddhists see Buddhist angels, Hindus see Hindu angels. Um, now, atheists and agnostics, I, I, who knows? I mean, I've grown up in a Christian society. If I had uh, an experience of something um, spiritual that I couldn't explain, the default setting would probably for me be for me to see that in a Christian. You know, I've, I've, I don't even know what a Buddhist angel would look like. I've, mm. I've, I don't know what one is. Let, let, let's bring in Roger here because I think Roger. Um, you've met and discussed with people who claim to have had these angelic experiences. Um, but what are we talking about? Are we talking about people literally seeing the wings, the halo, the harp, <laughs> the nighty? Um, or, or, or is it something more numinous um, that people describe when they talk about angelic visitations? What's, what, what are the experiences that you can recount? People don't see wings very often. Um, they, they tend to see a huge person um, who's, who's larger than a normal human person and is brighter in some way uh, or is in a very strange position like sitting on an aeroplane wing or uh, up in the ceiling of a church. Hmm. And, and in that sense then, are the experiences specifically related to that person's background? If they're a Christian, they'll see a kind of Christian version of an angel. If they were a Muslim, they might see a Muslim version of an angel. Or, or are these angels, as far as you're aware, pretty standard in terms of the way they're, they're related? I suppose I've only really talked to Christians about it. Mm. Um, and, and the striking thing is that, that they don't see the expected picture of the angels. Most of them would have would have... Draw, as a child, drawn an angel with wings and a halo and a, and a flowing gown, but they're more likely to see uh, a muscular, eight-foot-tall, bronzed figure um, wearing a check shirt and trousers. <laughs> sounds like a lumberjack. So, it sounds like a few films. <laughs> <laughs> That's interesting. So, so in actual fact, that what people report often can, can be quite different to, to, to I guess, our, our assumption of what they might be talking about to give give us an could could you start us off maybe with with a story of um a, an angelic visitation that either you or, or some someone you know of has has experienced i think the most striking one that, that i know of was um uh, pastor roland buck in boys idaho who uh, from in 1978 at the age of 60 was woken up in the middle of the night um and this uh, huge figure uh, who he couldn't really see properly, um, but he guessed was an angel. And he, he then went on to have a series of what he called 28 encounters with angels. Um, and mostly it was with the angel Gabriel, who he described as having a, 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 a white tunic and white trousers, glowing bronze shoes and hair like gold. Uh, and his associate, the angel Crony, um, who was much more ordinarily dressed, um, but with but also a, a, a huge figure. Um, and these angels um, talked to him a lot about um, messages to give to people in his church, uh, general messages about God's love, 
explaining various um, parts of the Bible to him, so he saw them in a in a new light, uh, and also gave him a particular mission um, to go to the Philippines with a, a list of names of people that he'd meet. Um, and he did go to the Philippines, and he he did meet people uh, with those names. Right. Well, I mean, I suppose yeah, what's interesting about that story is that you know, we could say, well, he was imagining it. But then if you add in, and then he went and met people who the angels had told him he would meet, perhaps lends a degree of objective, oh, well, maybe there is some objective evidence here in in this story. What's your totally initial <laughs> off-the-cuff reaction it's, to that, Lee? It, well, objective <laughs> is, is definitely the first word you'd have to throw out, I think, from 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 the account in that if you were to take that story and and use that as any kind of evidence you'd then immediately have to accept everything anybody's ever said about mediums and psychics and tarot card readers who uh, and and the, the proof they give is identical to this kind of thing someone told me i would meet someone and i did i mean that's a that's thousands of years old it's uh, but it's different to saying that he imagined it so, and what I'm interested in is that mm. the, our brain is much more intelligent than that it's much cleverer than that and what it does is much more interesting than that because it creates our, um, our, or our memories are created in order to give an interpretation of the world to help us move into action and so to say that someone just imagines something is to sort of downplay something quite dynamic which happens which is there'll be certain sense data that comes in so the stories of ghosts are almost identical to the start of that story mm. many ghost stories are the same someone wakes up in the night they're in this um hypnagogic state there's a sort of possibly and i've done it we've probably all done it i've woken up and i've genuinely thought there was someone in the room with me until slowly i became more awake and realized it was my dressing gown hanging on the back mm. of the door had I fallen back asleep at that point, had I been a more uh, religiously inclined person, I might have put a different spin on it. I might have put a different interpretation. So the brain is actively re-engineering sense data to make something happen. Um, and I'd separate those two stories. So there's one story there, which is that he saw things in the night, uh, like uh, the angel Moroni. The Mormons came from an angel giving messages about the Bible. Um, and then the other story is there's some data that backs that up. And I think they're two separate things, right. actually. And and, and the, the this thing of, and then he went to the Philippines and events transpired, which seemed to confirm what the angels had already told him. I mean, it, if we can assume that he's not tampered with the story to make it fit things a bit more or whatever, I mean, would you have any kind of explanation for that yeah the, ex the explanation is easy which is that what we know is the story we don't know the facts that led okay. up to that story right. so let us say for example if i said to you justin you're going to go to the philippines at some point in your life you're going to meet a lot of people shorter than you <laughs> is is all right now that's a really silly example to make a point but that's such an that's an easy thing to say but if i were to say to you you'll meet someone who will help you while you're there that's quite also likely to be true but mm. sounds specific enough that if you were to retell the story 10 years later, you would say, I met this magician and he told me I was going to meet this guy in a bar who would give me $10. And so the story grows. So there's this kind of sense of, of yes. Um, and I'm not saying he's lying. It's really elab important. Elaboration, though, uh, that, that kind of takes place. Okay, P Peter mm. Williams, I mean... Uh, yeah, I, I fundamentally agree, agree with you there. I think, um, you know, alarm bells went off for me as soon as the story story started with I was asleep. <laughs> And I, I, I tend to think, oh, well, you know, that raises a question mark immediately. As you said, the, the interesting thing is where you start getting, um, if there's specific enough um, predictions or whatever, that then 
uh, are fulfilled in reality. And it's the level of specificity of those predictions and how unlikely they are to have come true just by chance mm. that will be crucial. And there's not enough data in that story uh, that we have at the moment to be able to kind sure, of nail that down. Sure. But those would be exactly the kind of details that I would want to pursue before either dismissing or um, ruling in that mm. kind of a story. We'll, we'll come back to some more stories from Roger in a moment and, and, and also get Roger's take on it. Um, before we get to the end of this section, though, I mean, briefly, Peter, just in general, what do you see the role of angels as having in the Bible? Um, some people say primarily their their role is as a messenger very often. Well, well that's what the, the word uh, angelos in, in Greek means, means messenger. They take messages, think of uh, the Annunciation to, to Mary um, or angels that appear in various dreams to give messages to people, etc. So, or, or telling the shepherds to go and yes, see that's the baby, right. Um, some thinkers restrict um, uh, angel in that sense to a particular rank of um, spiritual beings. People sometimes use the term to mean any um, supernatural beings that's not God, including devils who are fallen angels right. specifically. So it's rather it is rather a vague term uh, but certainly um, supernatural beings who are not God turn up in a wide variety of roles in, in the Bible and in the, and, the and, Gospels and, and so on. And do you believe that they have um, as it were the ability to defend people and that kind of thing that they specifically can intervene in that sense apart from communicating information they can they can yes. intervene in, and, in and certainly you could see that within the pages of of scripture as well in, in several instances where uh, angels seem to have a sort of protective function well indeed in you you kindly sent us both lee and i um a chapter of a mm. book that won't be out for quite a while but but which has a chapter on what I love the title of angelology. Um, <laughs> that's and, the technical term uh, of the subject. The technical term. <laughs> it is, and um, and you obviously one of the stories you uh, p- pick up on from the New Testament is is the story of Peter being released from jail, yes. apparently at the hands of an angel. Um, he thinks he's having a vision, but by the time he gets to the door of the disciples. Uh, he realises it wasn't a vision, it really happened, yeah. and in, they even forget to let him in. He, they're so yes. surprised at him yeah. being there. Um, I, I mean, okay, so that instance is obviously of, of an angel directly intervening in a particular yes. situation physically. Uh, and it's clearly a, the thing that convinces Peter that he's not having a vision re-experience, but it's actually something that's happened to him, is... He's no longer in jail <laughs> at the end of this experience. Um, so, you know, he's initially sceptical about it, which I think is is interesting. Um, and also, uh, this story um, from Acts uh, 12 passes um, what New Testament scholars would call the, the criterion of embarrassment. That is, people don't tend to tell stories in a way that re- reflect themselves in a bad light. Of course, Peter's in jail. All the um, the believers are gathered in this house together, praying for his release. Um, he's released. He knocks on the door, and the person who answers the door, uh, you know, so excited that it's him, comes in and tells everybody, "Peter's at the door. Peter's at the door." And they don't believe her mm. because their faith is not strong enough that <laughs> that God would ever actually have answered their prayers. So um, it it casts the the faith of the uh, the early so, so believers in what, a bad what, light. What you're saying is, if if they had wanted to make up a story, it's much more likely they would have said, "Yes, the angel released him." And we immediately praised God for his you yes, know, sending the, right. the answer to our prayers, but they didn't. What, what do you I, make of well, that? Well, I don't really? agree because I think actually it's a misunderstanding of um, how to use that kind of psychology. For example, at the beginning of the program, I said, I'm slightly intimidated. You've got lots of books. That actually doesn't count against me. That counts for me. It sort of makes me sound 
perhaps a little braver than I am, or perhaps <laughs> a little funnier than I am. Um, so actually, I think quite the opposite. And it's, um, uh, if you'll forgive me saying so, it's, it's quite an old trick of people who believe in all sorts of things, not just religion, to say, I was a sceptic, and now I'm not. Or I was, at first I was sceptical, and then I had to believe the evidence of my own eyes. And I suppose the strong argument I'm making again and again is your own eyes are about the least reliable thing you've got. Um, and from my point of view, this is an account that was, as far as I know, sort of written down orally several decades later. It almost certainly got scrambled. And when we retell stories, we edit in details. And this is a really important thing. We, we, we do need to go to a quick break. And sure. um, we're already uh, over time slightly. So we'll, we'll, we'll have Peter and Roger respond uh, and, and maybe hash this out a bit further in the next uh, segment of the programme. You're listening to Unbelievable. We're asking angels, do they exist today? My guests, Peter Williams, Skeptic Lee Warren and on the line, Roger Harper. You're listening to Unbelievable on Premier Christian Radio. Welcome back. Um, hope you uh, enjoyed the brief break. Back straight into our subject, though, today. Angels, do they exist? My guests today, Peter S. Williams, sceptical voice Lee Warren and Roger Harper on the line. We're talking about whether it makes sense to believe in angels, what the Bible says about angels. Uh, Lee, our um, atheist guest today, uh, says ultimately supernatural phenomena, people's reporting of that, tends to have a natural explanation if you get behind it. Um, well, we're asking today, what about those stories in the Bible, like the one of Peter and the angelic uh, rescue from prison that we just heard Peter Williams talking about uh, in the other part of the programme? Uh, and if you want to get in touch, you can always do that. Unbelievable at premier.org.uk. Good place to send your emails. You can also get us on Twitter and Facebook at unbelievablejb or facebook.com slash unbelievablejb. All the links, of course, available from the uh, Unbelievable website with past programmes and many more features besides. premier.org.uk slash unbelievable. Uh, Roger, let's bring you back in now. Um, you, 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 you took us along to that story of um, the minister in Idaho who claimed these angelic experiences, went to the Philippines, said he met people there that the angels had told him about. Um, Lee wonders, you know, well, I've seen this before. You know, that's what mediums claim, psychics and that sort of thing. What, for you, what distinguish, distinguishes this from, from that? Well, firstly, that it's very specific, the information that was given to him. He was given a list of names, um, and uh, at the airport, um, he happened to sit next to a guy who then happened to be sitting next to him in the aeroplane as well. Uh, and the first thing he said to him was, uh, how, do I pronounce your name Sariano? And the man was completely gobsmacked and didn't know where to put himself because... Um, that was actually his his name, um, and it was the first name on the list that the angels had given him. So there was it's a bit more specific, um, mm. uh, I would say. Uh, and secondly, just looking at the character of the man, that this was a man who'd been a, a steady um, Bible believing, Bible preaching pastor for many years. He's a man whose character has been attested um, as as conservative and reliable um by by many not, not given to uh, flights of fancy and wacky interpretations of things like that's right essentially um and uh, he actually he, he he died 18 months after um his his first um experience with angels and uh, he never made any money out of it or 
um, you know, mm. gained any benefit from it, in, in any personal benefit in that way either. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, Lee, coming back to you, mm. obviously we don't have all the facts, as you said. Um, you'd want to, a lot more to go on, in a sense, to be able to make some sense of this. But for you, um, what's going on then, if, if this is down to a kind of trick of the mind, essentially? Well, yeah. Is, is it kind of willing something to be true? Um, Partly. Um, it's really important also not to get hung up on this question of someone's character, because to say that someone's mind can deceive them is not to say they're a dishonest person, not to say they're a bad person in any way. We all do it, whether we like it or not. Um, I mean, for example, anyone listening into this now, if you were asked to you know, think of a room that you know well, it's very hard to think of it. Your memory, your brain is very fuzzy, mm. and it won't... There will be nothing like the detail we see in this room we're in at the moment. I think of my bedroom. I think of a few colours and a couple of things. And memory is constantly reconstructing things. And um, a story like this is a really classic example of how that happens, in that we don't know what the story happened, what, what happened in the real story. We also don't know what's left, been left out of the story. So we don't know that the angel didn't tell him a hundred things... And we've heard the two most interesting, but not the 98 that didn't right. happen. Mm -hmm. And if that were true, then what does that mean about the veracity of the angel? And it's not that this man's doing this deliberately, but this is, this is how we construct stories. We only tell stories that are interesting. Yeah, we don't tell disinteresting stories. You know, we don't tell people about our breakfast habitually. Mm -hmm. um, and when we tell a story, it gets edited. So, for example, I say to you, um, I went to the Philippines and an angel told me that I would meet someone whose surname began with S and somebody would say, well, lots of surnames began with S. And I'd say, no, 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 but it was a, it was a different S. And so, so I edit out mm. the bits that tell against mm. me in the story. Um, I'm not saying this is definitely what happened no, in that case. But, but that's your best explanation. It's not only my best explanation, it's a better explanation than angels being real. I'm not saying it's true, but it is a more parsimonious and more economical explanation and it sits better with what we know about how the brain works. Should we always try to find the naturalistic explanation in these cases, Peter Williams? I think it's it's sensible to try and find the most parsimonious explanation um, of the, the data that we, we have. Um, it's just that I, I think whether you're actually prepared to countenance going to a, a supernatural explanation of the data depends very heavily on your background worldview beliefs. Uh, and it, and it, it one wants to be aware of, of simply saying, well, any um, you know naturalistic explanation that we can come up with of, of the data that must be more plausible to believe because it, you know it's so implausible to believe a supernatural explanation. Well, whether or not you judge a supernatural explanation to be so implausible depends on whether or not you believe that supernatural things could be real mm. uh, whether or not you think there's a god whether or not you think mind-body dualism is true and so I, I on mean, so we're working from, yeah, from different starting points a, in as making we always are on, on this program in yeah. a sense and, and the point is that peter s williams you're a christian philosopher you believe on the the, the basis of the evidence that the exist the existence of god is far more likely than not yeah you in your understanding of the evidence have come to precisely the opposite conclusion lee and mm. so that's going to inform whether yeah. An actual supernatural activity Except is a parsimonious explanation or not? There's one important difference, which is I don't think it's just about differing philosophical backgrounds or beliefs. It's also about how can we test this? How can we find out? Mm. And if, 
is what we find out, is it consilient with what else we know about the world? Mm. And I would argue quite strongly that my tentative explanation for that story sits very well with everything else we know about the natural world. Whereas invoking an angel requires us to insert, you know, so the opposite of Occam's razor, we're required to insert an entity just for the sake of making that story work. Whereas actually it works perfectly well without it and better without it. That's, mm. So we can, we can test that claim against what we know and we can make predictions based on that claim as well. Um, and we can carry out all sorts of – and there are wonderful, elegant experiments in psychology. Um, and just very, very briefly, because your listeners might find this interesting, uh, Elizabeth Lofthouse is a, is a very famous researcher in psychology. She's carried out many experiments telling people stories that are not true. Do, do, you've heard of these perhaps. Mm, mm. Um, in one, uh, some people were shown signs at an accident, and they were told in the story afterwards – so, for example, either stop or go – they were told the opposite – uh, to what those signs actually were. So the people who'd seen a stop sign were shown a go sign, the people who'd shown a go sign were told they'd seen a stop sign. These people re-engineered their imagination. They, they, they changed their memory in accordance with what they were told. And the, it's a very dynamic um, uh, process. And these experiments let us understand, actually, our brain isn't necessarily very reliable. Our memory is certainly not reliable. Mm -hmm. And that's a good explanation, I right. think, for these stories. Well, I, I think my problem there is, is, is A... The difficulty of make of getting into the claim is you started off the program with of saying that our our experience of reality is is less reliable than than reliable sort of overall unreliable and I think there are, you know sort of um, self refuting difficulties with that kind of claim but it it also seems to me that um, what you're not what you're actually saying is no that story that we, that we've been told didn't probably didn't happen that way because people can make things up and so on. So you're actually you're, you're revising what the data that we've been given is to fit in with a naturalistic assumption that you bring in the, you know, the unreliability of memory and so on in this case because you, your worldview doesn't fit with the, with, the, with the data. Would you bring in that same kind of sceptical kind of, well, you know, people revise their memories and we can believe things that aren't true. And so you could apply all of that, surely, to all history or reporting, or well, the uh, data do, do you is, end up believing no testimony uh, about events in the past? Uh, it's not that I wouldn't believe it, I, but I wouldn't take a lot of stuff on face value. And it's, it's the same level of claim um, of uh, someone selling something. It's the same level of claim because someone is selling a story. They're, they're selling uh, an, an emotion, if you like. Um, but the data that we have is an unverified and unverifiable story. Um, and when I say unverified, I don't mean someone hasn't told that story and mm. repeated that story. What I'm saying is very often when someone repeats the story, they don't really have the tools to, fight, to ask the right questions to find out what actually happened. This is why, for example, there's huge research into eyewitness testimony. Let's take something like the Titanic that was witnessed in real time by hundreds of people. And uh, I can't remember the name of the U.S. senator, but as soon as the survivors landed in New York, uh, um, uh, a huge inquiry was convened. Everybody who survived the Titanic was interviewed. And the senator's exact phrase was, the problem with eyewitnesses is that they were there at the time. <laughs> <laughs> and about something as traumatic and important as... And you know, these people saw that ship go down, and you cannot mm. find more than three I mean, or four accounts th that This is called. something that has concerned you, Peter Williams, yeah. uh, as far as the... the, the eyewitness testimony to the Gospels and, mm, and, and mm. Lee raised a very important point earlier about the story of Peter and the angel well how do we know that really is 
what happened someone wrote that down not exactly at the time uh has the story been elaborated on um you know you say there's this criterion of embarrassment well yeah but at the end of the day the the goodies still won and and all the rest of it so so i mean what makes you satisfied that 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 particular story for instance is is one which we can take in that sense at face value well, it's, it's, it's a cumulative case. It's an accumulation of, of evidence. I mean, it's true to say, for, for example, that the eyewitnesses to the Titanic going down got it wrong about whether the ship split in half when it went down or not. Mm. But they didn't get it wrong about whether or not the ship went down. You know, the fact that they were there and they said the ship went down was quite a good reason to believe that the ship did go down. Similarly, when you look at, say, the gospel accounts of the, the empty tomb, you know, some mentioned one angel, some mentioned two... Um, does that mean there were no, there was no empty tune and there was no angel? Well, no, because, and particularly given that you've got lots of other evidence, standard historical criteria that historians use in uh, in the secular realm to winnow um, reliable data from past reports. You can use exactly the same criteria, like the criteria of embarrassment, um, in the biblical uh, mm. stories. What, so one interesting thing I noticed as well when you mentioned this story is, is something C.S. Lewis t- t- spoke of in mm. relation to this story, Peter, which is he said, well, it's either reportage, as in a, a reporting of something that a- apparently happened, or completely out of context, before it became the modern way of writing, mm. someone wrote a modern historical novel uh, which was simply not the genre of not writing the which, which was genre, there. So it right. looks completely out of place if it was made up, basically. Yeah. So mean, is that another, yeah, that's another, another consideration, tool you would bring in? Another consideration of, like the fact that the story involves uh, making claims about you know easily available pu- publicly knowable facts of some import uh, in the situation. It's not a sort of story of... Uh, you know something done you know in some little corner as Paul talks to uh, one of his uh, interviewers about um, but of a public event about you know prison break that's embarrassing to the authorities and so on um, you know I think it's implausible to think that they just made up that kind of story and then you do have to have some explanation for the fact that he was in prison and then he's not and you know the guy himself who we're told in the in Acts written by Luke, you know, this information came from Peter Peter, described how the Lord had brought him out of prison, uh, and so on. But this uh, is my point, Peter, that, that what we're talking about, and um, uh, C.S. Lewis, Lewis always did this odd thing of dividing things into two, <laughs> in black and white, didn't he? It was that ridiculous thing he said about Jesus was either definitely the Son of God or mad, was, wasn't it? Well, Lewis the, the lunatic or, or liar trilemma, yeah, I mean, what, sometimes I'm called. Just, I think that's a sort of silly thing to say because there's so many middle areas that you could investigate fruitfully. Well, I have a whole chapter on this <laughs> argument in my book, Understanding <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I don't have a book to sell, by the way. Um, uh, but... My my point is not, and I think it's really important to distinguish between someone just making something up, and that's not what I would. I'm, by the way, even though I'm an atheist, I'm perfectly willing to take a lot of the stories in the New Testament at reasonably face value. I would argue about their interpretation and their translation, mm. and the nature of the, uh, indeed, the, the spiritual revelation in, in in the New Testament. But mm. isn't it at least as likely that something happened that Peter got out of jail in some way or another, and at some point ascribed that to the work of God. And that is just... So if somebody let him out, it's perfectly possible that two days later he said, you know, someone let me out, don't know who that was. That's quite miraculous. In the same way as when some an air pilot lands a plane on a river, on the River Hudson, it's sort of... We sort of call it miraculous. And somebody could easily invoke other forces 
to uh, that apparently could have made that happen and so on. And, 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 and the story are, grows. Are you kind of invoking a sort of Chinese whispers sort of effect then that, that oh, Peter said, didn't he, that, that someone was with him when that jailbreak happened? Yeah, it must have been an angel, hence angel... Peter becomes the story. To some extent, both internal Chinese whispers, if you like. Yeah, so within himself, as in a justification. So if there's someone there who's very religious who gets out of prison, and I don't know how difficult prisons were to get out in those, out of in those days, I have no idea. Um, but if, if someone was sympathetic to the cause and let him out, and who knows, they may even said this is the work of God as they did it or something. And but, but for you, that always has to be your first explanation. I mean, you've got to go with the natural one in that sense. Certainly, I feel we've got to exhaust all possible natural explanations because uh, otherwise um, we're not really using our intellect which is our birthright and um, and also it, it's very it's much easier to put a supernatural explanation into things than a natural one it's much much easier to do that you could basically say angels are responsible for everything you could do that why, mm. why is it getting warmer because mm. angels do it yeah it, it's a really easy thing to say sure uh, uh, where does it get us I don't know um, Peter, <laughs> yeah. quick response, yeah. and then we'll, we'll move on to uh, another aspect it, of this. It, I think my main response there is it, it just sounds like you, you can make up um, ad hoc explanations for any data set that you want, particularly if you're, revised, you're prepared to revise the data that you're actually given by the evidence in order uh, for it to fit an explanation that fits your worldview. Mm. And I think you're doing that primarily because of your worldview rather than an attempt to grapple with um, the actual historical evidence that is being presented. And um, I think by if you applied that same kind of methodology, even when the historical report wasn't calling into question your worldview, you'd end up being highly, highly sceptical about, you know, all of ancient history. Um, And I think that's a price too high to pay. (laughs) Um, Roger, let's come back to you. Um, firstly, any, any response to that and, and any other stories you want to, to bring to bear in terms of uh, things you've heard people, perhaps in your own experience? Um, yes, I think with, with the, uh, the story of Peter and, and also the story of uh, Pastor Buck in Idaho, um, the, the fact that these were reliable people is, is important and, and that they weren't the sort of people that would in any way deliberately or consciously um, add to or embroider a story um, because for them that would be that would be lying and they wouldn't do that so you'd have to say that this this happened completely subconsciously uh, the the embroidering of the story to create what we now have and and I think that's inherently unlikely Um, so uh, I think it is important the degree to which the the amount of something psychological going on would would have to be very yeah. high in that sense to to create this i'd be interested to know why roger thinks that's unlikely why that's unlikely mm. um uh, just because of because of the the character of the person because um no, the unco- i'm not talking about consciously didn't gain anything roger. from it uh, if mm. anything he gained you know he, he gained it, it, it got him into more trouble um and the same goes for most of the the sort of stories in, in the uh, in the New Testament that there was no benefit to the person, therefore, um, you know, it's unlikely that they that they made it up. I mean, in a sense, what I'm hearing you say, Roger, is that the fact that up to this point, in the case of, for instance, Pastor Buck, there wasn't a great deal of this type of activity. It it was a rather sudden 
um, manifestation, if you like, in his life, um, not prone to this sort of uh, talk and, and experience. Um, it, it was very hard to come up with a sort of sudden psychological change in his character that, that would explain a sort of, at some subconscious level he, he started to, to invent things. But, um, I mean, um, the, here's another story, gents. Let's see, I think, have you heard of this one, Roger? Um, yeah. The John Patton, the Reverend John Patton, mi- missionary in the New Hebrides Islands, uh, tells a thrilling story involving the protective care of angels. Hostile natives surrounded his mission headquarters one night, intent on burning the Pattons out and killing them. When daylight came, they were amazed to see the attackers unaccountably leave. They thanked God for delivering them. A year later, the chief of the tribe was converted to Christ, and Mr. Patton, remembering what had happened, asked the chief what had kept him and his men from burning down the house and killing them. The chief replied in surprise, "'Who were all those men you had with you there?' The missionary answered, "'There were no men there, just my wife and I.' The chief argued that they had seen many men standing guard, hundreds of big men in shining garments with drawn swords in their hands. They seemed to circle the mission station so that the natives were afraid to attack. Only then did Mr. Patton realise that God had sent his angels to protect them. The chief agreed there was no other explanation. Um, So you know that story as well, don't you, Roger? Um, Yes, and there have been one or two other stories similar, yes. uh, Okay, Uh, so, so, and for you... It's hard to come up again, I guess, with a sort of psychological explanation for these sorts of accounts. If, if you know, if we can assume they haven't been doctored, tailored in some way in the in the telling. Yes, I think you know that the, the fact that you have somebody there, um, you know, who gives a, 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 an outsider's point of view that it wasn't the man, the, the missionary themselves who saw the angel, that it was the other people who saw the angels. Um, then that that tends to lead, mm. lead credibility, lend credibility to it. It rather reminds me of the story. Is it um, of um, is it Ezekiel and uh, the, the 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 flaming sort of servants of the Lord who accompany him and his uh, accomplice um, when the armies are stacked against them and they they flee? Um, a sort of modern day version of that, perhaps. Um, Again, I'm probably not going to hear... Well, OK, different sort of story there, Lee. Again, just be interested in hearing your, your off-the-cuff off reaction. To well, it's a, in a way, it's a different sort of story, except that, I mean, what's interesting is that pretty much... And this, we could say the same thing about ghosts, we could say the same thing about UFOs, we could say the same thing about fairies, we could say the same thing about angels in different cultures, different countries. What is in common is that we're getting a report, unverified and unverifiable... Yeah, so we don't know the questions to ask, or we don't, we can't go back in time and ask the questions. And what's interesting also is that these, the evidence offered is always stories, and the stories have psychological things in common. So the, if someone had some pretty decent photos of angels, that would be great. I'd be genuinely interested. Mm-hmm. Like all mm-hmm. skeptics, I really hope there's something really fantastic to be discovered. And that's pretty much every sceptic I know is like this. We really, really hope people can talk from beyond mm. the grave and really hope there are angels and so on. So basically all stories could be bundled into one category, which is do we really know we're hearing what we think we're hearing? Do the people telling the story, are they really telling what happened? And just to go back to Roger's point, I think the, the point I'm trying to make very strongly is that to say that stories are unreliable evidence is not to say that people are dishonest or have bad character, or being untruthful. And I, I disagree with Roger in one important sense when he said there's no benefit to be gained from this. The benefit to be gained from stories is a social benefit. It's a sense of prestige. We are very, very social animals, and if we have interesting stories to tell about ourselves, this gives us a lot of social um, 
prestige. It's why, for example, people with bad backs will have bad backs for years sometimes because I become the person with the bad back and that's quite interesting. Mm. It appears to account against me, but it gives me a bit of social prestige. Very often, and you'll find this with uh, UFO stories, with ghost stories, with angel stories, there's no financial benefit, there's nothing underhand going on, but there is a sense of I'm a slightly more interesting person because of my experience. Okay. Um, you, you, you actually, um, this appears in, in the chapter of this uh, forthcoming book, Peter, this story. Um, I mean, what, what, what ultimately is the value of these modern-day stories? How, how much store should we set in them, as far as you're concerned? Well, not, not a huge amount on an individual case like that. As I say, what I try and mount uh, is a cumulative case where it's the accumulation of evidence from a range of different fields and you know um, experiential reports are only one of those fields um, one's arguments for taking the bible in a certain way and so on is another one now that if you have uh, modern day experiential stories that that comport with events that are in the bible that, that gives a sort of uh, a consonance between those two fields that adds to the evidential value of them, then there are independent, purely philosophical uh, arguments for the existence of angels and so on. So it's the accumulation and the way in which these in that case, different then, things... When, when my new age friend says, I was talking to my angel the other day, and she or he was telling me yeah. that I ought to go to Asda instead of Sainsbury's, I mean, that is not, in a sense, the Christian view of, of angels, yeah. presumably. Um, wh- does that count against the view, then, if someone is reporting angelic activity which seems to to not cohere with a biblical view of angels well it could do it would depend upon the relative uh, merits of the particular evidence in the particular case as as i'm saying and and it is sometimes hard to have enough um, specificity from the story some several of the stories that we've had to really kind of nail down the kind of um, answers to questions that one wants to to ask of these stories there's you know i've i've read a lot of books of collected accounts of angelic experiences and, and so on and it seems to me that i would want to throw out quite a lot of them as not particularly uh, evidential but that, that there is still a hard core of stories that seem to have at least some evidential value to them something to them which is hard to explain away um you know stories that involve multiple witnesses um that pass some of these criteria of um, embarrassment and so on um that um give you uh, some evidential weight to mm. a cumulative case for these things and it, it's it's often when you're judging the stories it's also how it fits with the rest of the the kind of view of angels that you're building up through these different mm. sources of information yeah. that helps you to judge you know whether a particular new age report of an angelic experience is is real or not or even to go back to last week's show you know demonic in origin mm. Mm. say you know well, uh, uh, Roger, perhaps you could speak to this as well. I mean, um, I was in WH Smith the other day, and in their New Age section, they had a, a stack of Bibles, but not your Christian Bible. It was the uh, Tarot Bible, the Palmistry Bible, and one of them was the Angels Bible. Angels have kind of become part of the New Age um, sort of field of reference, if you like. Um, now, is that helpful or a hindrance when it comes to belief in angels? It, it certainly confuses confuses the picture generally um, that um, uh, it, it's very difficult as as Peter was saying it's very difficult to know except on a on a case by case basis um, generally speaking Christ, Christ, Christianity tends to believe that there is a true and a counterfeit and the same go with good angels that they're 
that when you get something that's true, there, there can also be a counterfeit. Uh, but discerning whether this is a, a true angel or a counterfeit angel um, you know, takes, uh, takes various criteria. Yeah. We, we got... I've just looked at the time and we're already out of time in this section. So, so much more it would be nice to talk about. We're going to take another quick break and we'll have a chance to wrap up our thoughts on what's been a really interesting discussion on the uh, angels, uh, whether they're you know, a satisfactory explanation of the, the stories that we have both in the Bible and in the modern day. Um, uh, so join us again, short moment's time, and we'll be finishing our topic today, Angels, Do They Exist? with me, Justin Briley, on Unbelievable, the show that aims to get you thinking. Welcome back to the final part of Unbelievable with me, Justin Briley, this Saturday afternoon. Some of your feedback to the last few weeks of programming, including last week's, which of course dovetails with today's. Uh, last week we asked uh, demons, do they exist? Fascinating discussion in the studio last week on that subject. And many of you have been emailing, getting in touch by Facebook uh, about your reactions to that show. And next week, though, if you tune in, um, really exciting show for you. Um, atheist philosopher Alain de Botton will be joining me and he'll be talking about religion for atheists and he's been in the media a little bit recently hasn't he talking about whether there should be uh, temples for atheists is one way that it's been put i'm not sure those were his words but uh, uh, we will um, be talking about that and and accompanying me uh, to uh, to record that will be james Orr, who's a young uh, christian philosopher who'll be um, examining whether alan's view of atheism holds water um atheism 2.0 as he calls it so that's for next week uh, should atheists be more religious with uh, unbelievable and me justin Briley. Tune back in for that and indeed online at premier.org.uk slash unbelievable. You're listening to Unbelievable on Premier Christian Radio. Concluding today's show, though, Angels Do They Exist? Peter Williams has been our guest in the studio uh, in, in favour of angels, and um, you can find his books, uh, including his most recent one, Understanding Jesus. I'll put a link to that with the podcast to this programme. Uh, Lee Warren, our sceptic today, um, he's a magician by background, says in his experience the mind has uh, a knack of tricking uh, the person into believing certain things, uh, but we need to get behind that and find the natural explanation. Roger Harper has also been contributing some of the uh, experiences he's heard of of people who report modern-day experiences of the angelic. Um, so um, thanks, gentlemen, all for, for being with me on the programme today. I'll start with you, Roger, as we start to wrap it up today. Um, I, I mean, on, on balance, is, is it just the case that you've heard too much to be able to close the door on, you know, a supernatural explanation of these kinds of encounters and that sort of thing. Yeah, I, I, the, the people who I've talked to do seem to be credible people, and yes, I, I, there is enough evidence for me to say that that some people do see angels, and that those angels bring comfort, encouragement, and strength. They're, they're not meant to be uh, proof of anything. They mostly they when they come to Christians. Um, they, they do encourage them and uh, keep them going. Um, and I think angels are, are like everything else that God does. Uh, there's always half God's fingerprint. Uh, it's almost as though wherever you look for evidence of God, you'll always see half a, half, half a fing, fingerprint. On, and uh, I think angels are like D- that Does too. it bother you, though, when, um, when Lee says, yeah, but there's no photos, there's no video uh, evidence of it all you have are people's essentially subjective experiences of what they claim to have interpreted as an angelic presence or or perhaps in a more specific case you know these sorts of stories we've been talking about today i mean does that bother you 
in a sense, it, it, it doesn't bother me. In some ways, it would be very nice, but then you'd, be getting to, you'd get into compelling evidence. And it seems to me that the God we believe in doesn't do compelling evidence because he's not a, comp- not a compeller. That's interesting. Um, perhaps um, we'll, we'll come back to Peter Williams to, uh, with, on, on the back of that. But thank you very much for joining us today, Roger. And um, uh, if you want to find out more about Roger, and he's an author as well as a vicar, uh, uh, britishcrash.co.uk is where you can find out about one of his uh, more recent books. Um, thank you for joining thank us on the, sh- on the show today. Um, Lee, uh, thank you so much for coming in today. It's been really interesting to, to get your, your take on these these issues. And I know that those who listen to the show who are atheists and agnostics, I know will be telling me what a great guy bringing <laughs> back in. Uh, he, he spoke well for the, the atheist position. So, um, you know, but, but you say you're a skeptic. Peter suggested in the course of the program, are you a skeptic for skeptic's sake almost that you're, 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 you won't allow a supernatural explanation because you've decided in advance no, that's not allowed. Um, no, uh, but I'd strongly say that it's useful to exhaust natural explanations first. And in every case I've certainly heard today, and, and actually in my sort of professional career, I've never yet got to the limits of a natural explanation before that becomes the explanation. Um, just two tiny uh, thoughts. Well, one thing, actually, we've got to hand it to angels for their names. I looked at some of their names before. Metatron. Wow. There's an angel. I mean, that sounds like a transformer, doesn't it? Metatron. <laughs> There's a real angel called Metatron in the Old Testament. Um uh, it does sound a bit like, Peter, you're trying to have your cake and eat it because what you, what you said just now was you'll apply a sceptical criteria as a beginning if the claim is not a Christian claim. You just don't do that when it's a Christian claim. So come back to that in a second when it's, when it's uh, your turn. Um, that's what it sounded like to me. And just as a final thought, a little parlour trick for you and your listeners, um, if you doubt what I've said in any way about memory and so on, think in your minds of a one-pound coin, the side with the Queen's face on it. And ask yourself if you would bet your entire house on whether the Queen is looking to the left, straight at you, or to the right. This experiment's been done many, many, many times. Fewer than half of the people asked get the answer right. I'm not going to tell you what the answer is because it's... <laughs> it, uh... Now, think about that. The implications of that are really extraordinary. That's something we look at every day, have done every day of our adult lives, and most of us wouldn't bet a lot of money on getting the answer to that right. That tells us a lot about human memory and mm. how we observe the world and how we choose to observe the world. I, I, I'm pretty sure she's facing to the left. I'm almost certain she is. And I wouldn't bet my house on it. <laughs> You'd better pound on it, wouldn't you? <laughs> I'd better pound on it, yeah. <laughs> but, but you would bet your house that there is a face of the Queen on the, on the coin. Yes, I, I, I would. I, I think yeah. you, you, I, you can't argue from this that memory is fundamentally unreliable and indeed the, the the proposition that memory is fundamentally unreliable would be one that you couldn't have any evidence for because you'd have to remember the evidence well, for thinking it, it. it's you only internal well, no you have to remember how to read <laughs> you know you, you rely upon memory in order to know uh, anything uh, particularly anything empirical of, of, of that kind so I, I think you can't just start saying you know memory is fundamentally unreliable I think it's important to take into account that it can be unreliable uh, in, in certain ways um, so, so scepticism <laughs> has its limits in that sense. Yes, you, you, that's you right. kind of, if you get so sceptical that you're not prepared to believe anything your mind tells you, well, 
then you can't believe that you're a sceptic anymore. That's uh, right. So it's important to give scepticism its due, but not to give it too much due, otherwise it starts uh, starts undermining itself. I I, I certainly um, would want to correct any impression I created that I would say that I would... um, and un, un, you know, not apply any initial scepticism to Christian reports of angels and so on. Um, I think what I said at the beginning was that I would um, take reports in the Bible uh, as being true, but I did that because I had a series of reasons for believing that the Bible is the Word of God, uh, and therefore that what it says is true. But I'm, I, I, that's not an unevidenced um, belief, as, uh, as far as I, I believe. Um, but then I would want to take um, modern-day reports of angels. I would want to apply a greater uh, initial scepticism to, to judging them. In a sense, I've already done that initial judging in the, Bi- in the Bible's case, whereas I haven't done it in the case of mm. um, some of the stories that we've been hearing today. Well, it's been fascinating. Um, and thank you very much uh, for coming in today, gentlemen. Um, and if you want more information on my guests, uh, do, of course, check out the podcast at premier.org.uk. And I'll post up some links to where you can find out more about both Lee, who is a magician by background. Um, why not? Is there somewhere where people can find out where you're next appearing and that sort of thing? Uh, well, I always work at private events, so no, they okay. have to pay me, I'm afraid, to come and... <laughs> nice one. Well, at least we might be able to put someone in touch with you who, who, wants, who wants to book you. Um, Peter Williams, um, yeah, I'll post the, the links to your sure. blog and that sort of thing um, and, uh, and to, to your latest book as well. So thank you for coming in and for what's been a, another fascinating edition of the programme. And I wonder if you want to get in touch and uh, give your opinion on anything you've heard today. Well, we were hearing some of your feedback to the issue of demons and whether they exist. But if you want to uh, get in touch on the back of today's programme, do email unbelievable at premier.org.uk. And indeed, I, I encourage you to, uh, to follow on Twitter and to uh, like the Facebook page so you can start interacting via those methods as well. So um, thanks for listening today. Uh, some of your feedback coming up in a moment's time. Uh, it's a goodbye to my guests for the moment, and I'm sure we'll see you again at some point down the line. Unbelievable with Justin Brierley. into the public discussion because if we don't those that say there is no God win win by default over nine hours of teaching five key speakers all on one DVD unbelievable the conference get honest answers to tough questions at premier.org.uk slash DVD Yes, do get hold of it if you can. Now, that little advert gave me a chance to dig out of my uh, pocket some shrapnel. And what do you know? The Queen is actually facing to the right. So I'm wrong. And um, what does that show? I suppose, yes, that our mind does tend to play tricks on us. I I think what happened was I was getting confused with the stamp. And I'm pretty sure a stamp, the Queen is facing to the left. But uh, I don't know. Does that prove that angels don't exist? Uh, You be the judge and do get in touch with your thoughts on today's programme. Email me unbelievable 
at premier.org.uk. You can find us also on Twitter and Facebook at UnbelievableJB for the Twitter, facebook.com slash UnbelievableJB. Don't forget the website, premier.org.uk slash unbelievable um just a quick shout out to a couple of listeners who've been emailing in recently uh, just, just to give you a, a sense of the breadth of listenership to this program here's stormbringer who's a young earth creationist and says could you mention an event on your show february the 12th apparently is question evolution day not for debating the age of the earth or bible preaching it's for academic and intellectual freedom for people to raise their objections to evolution without fear of ridicule uh, so could you mention the site piltdownsuperman.com and look for the tab that says Question Evolution Day. Hope that satisfies your request, Stormbringer. Uh, in the meantime, Dr. Kathy Kramer from Australia has been in touch to say, Hello, I'm an atheist wanting to thank you for your very enjoyable show. It's such a pleasure to have a forum where there's no ranting or name-calling. It makes it so much easier to really hear the arguments and give them careful attention. Congratulations. The respectful atmosphere is delightful. Thank you for listening, Kathy. And I think you've been uh, listening to the programme since Stephen Law came on to uh, defend his evil god challenge. Now, um, on Facebook, I was asking people to respond uh, to that story I related last week in the Demons programme on um, this uh, a particular case of where there appeared to be a transfer of a demon from one person to another um, that perhaps provided um, credence for uh, belief in demons um, that was a story that I related on the show um, various people got in touch to say how should we respond Jeff says through a lens of dubiousness and incredulity seriously though it's very tricky to verify a story like that without a lot more information Vincent McCann on the other hand says um, he thinks that's a good example for evidence um, there's other books he would recommend for instance Will Store versus the Supernatural by Will Store I read it a couple of years back very interesting considering he was a sceptic came across stuff he just couldn't explain in purely natural means and his invest investigations appear to have changed him. Uh, Paul Baird though similar to Jeff says I can't believe you're asking us for a naturalistic explanation for this event when there are no names, no dates no corroborative evidence, in short nothing to rebut but an anecdote uh, Richard Williams in similarly sceptical mode says lol, lol you lot will be believing in zombies next Oh, wait. Um, Peter Grice, um, on the other hand, says, This anecdote doesn't surprise me, as I've seen the same kind of thing, but I won't discuss details with self-styled debunkers who believe the dictates of verification aren't known to believers. Uh, similarly, Nicole Rose Tupper-Brown says, I could share stories, but they would be easily dismissed, so what's the point? Ray Descombs is a Christian, but says he must confess that uh, reported episodes of exorcism don't seem to him to have a high degree of credibility, and he questions the character of the person who gives this account of the exorcism saying that uh, this particular um, pastor um, in, in question um, appears to have had a belief that the British descend from the ten lost tribes of Israel, an idea that regularly surfaces in the lunatic fringe of Christianity, uh, which might give us a pause for thought about his story about the demon. Um, you also say what I and many Christians I know deplore are so-called deliverance ministries. I know of much harm and can think of no good at all that's been done by them. We should say that loud and clear. Helen Marple Horvat, a regular poster on the Facebook page of Unbelievable, says, I think exorcism is a word that creates a bit of drama. People pray for others all the time about fears or traumas in the normal course of everyday life. Most of that's never reported as such. It's so common. Um, but you want to go on say um, many mental illnesses are terribly difficult to diagnose. Drugs are very hit and miss and counselling services completely inadequate. Five of my friends are professionals in mental health services and there's very little money. So whatever we think of the informal goodwill of close friends praying for one another, please let's not kid 
kid ourselves with phrases like clinical and medical and assume some kind of authority for them. Um, Joe uh, is another sceptic who says when Christianity had more power and authority four or five hundred years ago, the mentally ill ended up as entertainment in bedlams. Um, and uh, Luke Hayes says, great show, Justin. Uh, so thank you for just a, a small snatch, a handful, if you like, of some of the responses on the Facebook page. Here's some of your emails, though, in response to the show. Ronald says, I've been a listener for a while. Love the show. Follow you on Facebook. Um, and uh, lots of, uh, yeah, lots of response to this demon issue, um, which brings me to my point. Craig Keener recently released a book on miracles where he attempts to tackle very similar issues about evidence for supernatural occurrences. And while I've not read the book myself, I've heard the scholarly feedback has been very good. What about having him on? Uh, you read my mind, Ronald, because um, I would love to get him on uh, when we get round to doing some, some miracles. So thank you for jogging my memory in that again uh, Fred um, says I waited with bated breath for the programme on demons part of me slightly embarrassed I'm an avid horror movie junkie and I enjoy being creeped out by such things but uh, the subject of demon possession is something I've been bouncing around in my own mind indecisively for some time uh, but I have to admit I was a little disappointed that the pro-existence side of the demons argument didn't present some more tangible examples of real demon possession uh, so I came away from the programme a little more informed but still undecided about the role of demonic spirits in our society. Overall, one might, uh, you go on to, to sort of suggest, would they want to make themselves that known in Western society? Uh, surely them becoming manifested obviously would turn people towards God in some sense. Uh, Marcia says, I have my own personal deliverance when I first came back to the Lord. I knew nothing about this type of thing, had never heard about it in the churches I went to. I went for prayer and was involved in the occult when young. But when I was saying the prayer of salvation, when I came back to the Lord, when I got to the name of Jesus, my mouth would not open. No matter how much I tried, my mouth wouldn't open. I was then aware of something rising from my stomach. Up it came to my throat and it was going to manifest a dirty, raucous laughter. In my head, I cried out, oh God, it's going to do something. As the ladies around me were praying, it just left. I felt as light as a feather. I was then able to finish saying the prayer of salvation and could say the name of Jesus. In my years since then, some 32 of them, I've greatly studied the subject. I know there's not a demon under every bush, but there are reasons for things many times, says Marcia. Thank you for a fascinating story, Marcia. Uh, Goni says... Um, I would just appreciate all that you're doing on the show, Justin. On the topic of demons, uh, I'm very happy to hear the clarification and cautious approach that two of your guests took on the issue of demonic possession. I've often had similar concerns regarding the difference between demonic possession and mental health issues, and it's good to know there are brothers and sisters in Christ out there approaching the topic with this awareness. And uh, why shouldn't uh, those in deliverance ministry and the mental health profession work together on the issue? On angels, I've done extensive research on the topic and have come to some very un popular beliefs on the subject matter in fact much of the research on angels uh, resulted in a film called age of deceit fallen angels and the new world order it's free on youtube and has had over 125,000 views since i put it on in september of last year so could you give it a mention thank you very much i have age of deceit fallen angels and the new world order if you want to find out goni's views on the subject of what we were talking about today uh, tristan says 
Um, I think I found Jonathan Clatworthy's view based on a confusion. He thinks there's an incompatibility between monotheism and demons with free will. But I think monotheism and polytheism have a fundamentally different idea about what sort of a thing a god is. Monotheism reserves the term god for the personal creator and basis of all reality upon which everything else depends. But a polytheistic god is simply some sort of super powerful spirit or force. Well, our monotheistic creator god is free to create animals bodies without a spirit or people unions of body and spirit and angels of demon or demons spirits without bodies if he wants and there's nothing with that that's incompatible as far as i'm concerned with monotheism says uh, tristan thank you very much and mike says i enjoy listening to the show uh, and i was actually hoping to hear a discussion between a believer and a non-believer about the existence of demons as one can actually witness in a deliverance session and see or hear how a normal person can manifest and have a demonic voice speak through them if it's not the person that is speaking then who is actually speaking in that instance wouldn't that be a form of evidence for the atheist Uh, and what do atheists think about the reality of demons well if you go onto my facebook page you can find that out for yourself uh, mike but um yes i mean that that is the interesting part of it is that the, the way these people act seems so out of character that that's part of the persuasiveness of of some of this um footage of exorcism and that sort of thing in fact you even say there's a a radio program where anyone can actually hear Christians calling in and hear them being delivered right over the phone lines. Uh, apparently, uh, uh, blogtalkradio.com Omega Man Radio, which you highly recommend. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, probably no more time for for more on demons just for the moment as we should get to some other stuff but thank you for uh, lots lots of uh, feedback on that um, many more emails that I couldn't get to uh, quickly before we run out of time I wanted to talk about neuroscience and I had a couple of interesting calls um, uh, two weeks ago we heard from Alasdair Coles a Christian neuroscientist and atheist Martin Frame asking whether neuroscience has killed God here were a couple of your reflection, reflections on the phone lines about that Hi, Christina again. Honestly, you're on my theme today. This is something that is right at the crux of my faith. The doctor was just talking about the frontal lobe and talking about the numinous. If God created us and he says that he made us in his own image and that he is in us and as he is in all things, then it's hardly surprising that there is a particular part of the brain he designated to be central to his being able to be in contact with us and for his presence. Thanks. Hi, Justin. This is David Wilkins calling from Gillingham. Well, absolutely fascinating discussion today. I'm not quite sure where to start because there's lots I can say about it. Um, I've just got a question for Martin. Why is it that you think a Christian God, if he had any sense, would wire up the brain for people to believe in Jesus. The fact that he hasn't, for me, makes it um, more certain he is the God I want to worship and he is the God you'll find in the Bible. Because if you look at the Bible and you look around the Bible, you will notice that even when God makes a culture and makes a group of people with a law code, he can sometimes fly in the face of that law code to bring people to him. Um, Naaman's a good example of that, so is Jonah and a couple of others. now, this doesn't really have much to do with brain psychology, but it says a lot about um, what God does. Also, thanks very much to Alistair for making the points he's making about the brain and neuroscience and how that doesn't prove God one way or another, because I have been finding certain articles and comments about this extremely confusing, and I'm really grateful to him for pointing this out. 
Lastly, epilepsy. Well, yes, the fact that these um, experiences can be like someone who's suffering from epilepsy doesn't mean they're not from God. All it really means is if you have epilepsy, you can have certain experiences. Obviously, they're short-term, as Alistair says, and experiences like the one Paul has fit in very nicely to the ones which he mentions as to the ones he believes to be authentic experiences of religion. Thank you very much, and it's a great programme. I'm just going back to it now. Bye. Well, thank you for both of those thoughts. Um, and uh, here's a quick one as well from Irvin, who wrote in to say, I was surprised to hear Martin frame the atheist on the question, has neuroscience killed God? Say, no, he doesn't believe it's killed God. Um, I, it would seem that uh, on this subject matter, the right atheist wasn't present to argue that neuroscience has undermined and done away with a belief in God. Well, I think you're misrepresenting him there. He said he, it didn't logically disprove god but i think what he would say it was certainly gave evidence towards let's say a cumulative case against the existence of god is probably the way he would put it even if it doesn't sort of oh, knock it right out of the park um so but uh, you wanted to point out that um the the horizon program from the bbc in 2003 uh, on god and the brain um particularly claimed for instance that dr michael persinger a canadian scientist could induce religious experiences in almost anyone and i think this was actually possibly mentioned in that show um with a success rate of 70 to 80 percent with his particular machine which uh, stimulates the temporal lobes richard dawkins went on it but it didn't have any effect on him <laughs> even though he says he wanted it to uh, and I inquire, is this the same man, Dawkins, who believes that religious experiences are worthless and dangerous, yet still wishes he could have experienced it anyway? Very strange, says Irvin. Um, I'm afraid that's all we've time for today. Uh, so we're going to have to leave it there. Thank you for listening. Do come back again at the same time next week. You won't want to miss who we've got on next time. You're unbelievable. Alain de Botton is uh, the atheist who says atheists need to be more religious. Find out why he's saying that as he's joined by James Orr, a young Christian philosopher who we had on a few weeks ago on the programme. And uh, I hope you can join me for that. An interesting programme next week, Should Atheists Be More Religious? Join me then, Justin Briley, for Unbelievable, between 2.30 and 4, or online at premier.org.uk slash unbelievable. <laughs>